0: You're listening to Don't Waste Water.
1: U.S. water infrastructure is profoundly and irrationally fragmented. There's fragmented and then there's profoundly fragmented. The U.S. water infrastructure space is profoundly fragmented. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I think the future is going to see more and more consolidation. What's interesting is, I think you're also going to see consolidation on the ecosystem that surrounds those water providers. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome back Tom Rooney as my guest. We're trying to service an unserviced sector of the water market. Rolling up those smallish, mediumish service and technology providers The reason that they kind of get stuck at that level is because there's a big jump from there to being a national player. And there's no middle ground. There's no ladder to climb. It's like there are five rungs on the ladder to this level, then you're stuck. And then 50 feet above you is another ladder. And so how do you make that jump? Tom is chairman and operating partner at Science Water. Someone could do what Dick Heckman did and just get a giant checkbook and just buy a lot of small stuff, the 30 or so that you'd meant, I am all up, then all of a sudden, it looks like something of a lot of scale, and then big national, international players might come in having forgotten what happened in the past and pay a huge premium. So there is a premium in the investor world for creating size and bulk. We're aware of that, but that's not our strategy. Science is a
0: research-driven investment fund that identifies uncovered, under-researched or misunderstood water sector opportunities that are undercapitalized. If you've listened to my synthesis on m a which I published on this channel 2 weeks ago, you will have some déjà vu impressions listening to the two interviews I'm releasing this week. Yet, I couldn't deprive you of the additional pieces of context, insight and wisdom shared by Tom Rooney and Alex Bühler. hence these bonus releases of the two almost uncut discussions. In the piece you're currently listening to, we'll explore how science uncovered a win-win opportunity on a specific segment of the US water market and how they intend to fill the mid-market gap by combining a roll-up of service players and a roll-down of technologies. I'd say it's the kind of approaches that should be taught in business schools. It maybe is, but probably not applied to water. In different terms, if you've liked Tom's water marketing lesson last year, this is a new masterclass. We also discuss the consolidation benefits and risks with examples where it turned good and others where it simply didn't work, we question the role of regulators and look at the road ahead. There, we discuss what's to expect beyond utility mergers, what implications consolidation has for the market, how there are opportunities for innovation, and how venture capital players entering the field is positive reinforcement for Science Water's approach. As always, if you like what you hear, share this episode with a friend, a colleague, your boss, or your team. Make sure to subscribe because I have a big, big, big piece coming out before the end of this year. It's probably my deepest exploration ever. A special thanks to Sense Water that enabled this episode, and I'll meet you on the other side. Hi, Tom. Welcome back to the Equinox Sun. Thanks for having me. Our conversation last year was praised by many as a marketing. Masterclass. Ah. So thanks a lot for that. My pleasure. You have been active as science in that consolidation world through, for instance, Central State Water Resources, which is actively consolidating U.S. utilities. We've seen on a macro scale Veolia acquiring Suez, Xylem acquiring Evoqua, several smaller moves happening in the water sector. It seems like there is a shift in the balance, in the force, which brings all those companies together. How do you explain it? Is it a positive thing? And where does the
1: road heads from here? Sure, well, scale matters. You know, these are operating assets and so scale does matter. So being larger potentially gives you the opportunity or the ability to perform better to deploy uniform technologies and things like that. There's a calling for that. As we've talked about in the past, U.S. water infrastructure is profoundly and irrationally fragmented. There's fragmented and then there's profoundly fragmented. The U.S. water infrastructure space is profoundly fragmented, a thousand times more fragmented per capita say than France or or the UK. What that means is that the owner operators of those water providers are small and oftentimes stranded. They don't have the ability to digest cutting-edge technologies that aren't even cutting-edge anymore. So there's a calling for that. What we did with CSWR, which is a little bit different from what some of the big national, international strategics that are doing that are rolling up, they're rolling up in an intelligent way to create bulk and scale and size. Regulators really haven't yet figured out that that's a good thing or can be a good thing and that they have to think about enabling and allowing that rolling up to happen to reverse the negatives that exist because of, fragmentation. So the regulators need to kind of take a deep breath, sit back, and realize, okay, the consolidation is a good thing, but we should manage it. Kind of like a missile that's already been launched. You can't stop it if you're a regulator. You can and shouldn't try to stop it. You should aim it. So as regulators, they need to think in terms of it's good for American water infrastructure to see consolidation, maybe only from good actors, however they want to define good actors, and good actors who act in the best interest. But Making it cumbersome to do those roll-up acquisitions is not in the best public policy. We at Central States Water Resources were able to do and continue to do massive, high-paced roll-ups because, yeah, we we do enjoy and and like the scale element that we got from it. But really, a subset of our strategy was to take badly broken water utilities, profoundly broken water utilities that were small. and the virtuous play of coming in and and making them better. Not only making ourselves larger, but making these small, worst actors better. So we were a little bit different in that regard. I think the future is going to see more and more consolidation. What's interesting is, I think you're also going to see consolidation on the ecosystem that surrounds those water providers, service providers, technology providers. And so one of the things that I've been talking about is that if you look at at the tens of thousands of water utilities in the United States, for every New York City or Los Angeles or Chicago, there's a thousand, quite literally, there's a thousand small players who are underserved. There are big engineering firms, big manufacturers, big consulting firms, big banks that are targeted at that top layer because that top layer, say, the city of New York, they can afford to have a five-year plan to bring membrane bioreactor technology into play, or they can take X number of years to deal with the big banks and talk about financing or bonds or whatever it might be. But if you're not at that big level at that high tier what happens with the rest of the ecosystem which is composed of small owner utility regulated operators and a profoundly fragmented ecosystem of contractors vendors and whatnot so the technologies exist but really only if you want to buy that technology in large scale take five years but those those water utility owner operators they're not sophisticated enough to create sort of bespoke solutions so what we've done from science's standpoint, and we think in the same way that we led with what we did with CSWR in creating a never-seen-before roll-up, is to roll up actually the service providers and the te- and roll what we call roll down the technologies. So take the, the, the now-proven MBR technologies, digital technologies, data, sensors, remote telemetry, all these other things, and package those. So roll them down into packages that are digestible by these smaller and medium-sized water utilities. The only way to do that is to consciously create bundles of services, technologies, and products that are somewhat modular in nature that could be digested, if you will, by the smaller players, but then also roll up the service providers. So right now you have concrete construction companies and electrical providers and sensor manufacturers and whatnot, but they tend to be what I'll call a mom and pop scale, too small. So if the technologies are too big, the service providers are too small. So we need to roll up the service providers and roll down the the technology providers, so that the meeting between and so there is an an untended gigantic part of the U.S. water space where you have water and sewage providers who simply don't have a support ecosystem that is suitable for their scale. This same challenge and issue doesn't happen in in France or the U.K. because you don't have that profound fragmentation, but it does in the United States. Your question is, started off with sort of the, the notion of sort of rolling up and creating greater scale. We're actually looking at it from both ends, right? So the, the CSWR notion of rolling up water utilities, but also the rolling up of the service vendor and technology, ecospace. So We're kind of looking at it from both perspectives. For US science, is it's as
0: straightforward to do that, rolling up running down on the technology side then what you've learned to master with CSWR on the on the utility sides is it the same game or do you encounter different challenges
1: well different challenges for sure we had to purchase certain uh, technologies that we could then make scale appropriate an MBR we purchased uh, something we call blue box we purchased a a team that had formerly been with Ovivo. We brought them on board and created our own manufactured product. So that's different than just a straightforward roll-up, sort of a bespoke product line. But we also have focused on creating service offerings to fit that middle market. So it's different, but in both cases, they pivot off of our knowledge of how fragmented the water space is. And understanding that water, certainly in the United States, is not a be-all, one-size-fits-all package. Like, okay, you want to get into the water space, because if people do, they tend to to aim at the large, high-scale targets. The similarity is the basis of our knowledge of the market space. The differences are nuanced, but yeah, no, it's about putting together service packages, putting together technology packages, and having the ability to think like a water utility. At Science, we're fortunate that on some days we can put a hat on and think about ourselves because we are a water utility by virtue of CSWR, so we know how we think and we know how we have to operate and act as good actors in and around the regulators. With that knowledge of being, in effect, our own customer, we can then step outside of that and become our service provider and put together packages that we know would marry up well with what the needs are in the marketplace. Some months ago, I sat
0: down with Karl Michael Miller, who is representing 35 companies which are up for sales. The common trait between all those companies is that they are small to middle sized and they exist for 10, 20 years. So it's not a startup, it's not a scale up either because they are not experiencing hyper growth, but they are most of the time profitable from day one. Very healthy companies. There's no investor and there's no acquirer for these type of companies because you have a hard time to imagine making a multiple on the company itself, which exists for 20 years, and is on a steady, slow growth path, and not on a hyper-growth unicorn type of path. Would that be a category of assets and companies which would be of interest
1: for you? Because Absolutely. You have- a different scale of time in what you're looking at. Yes, absolutely. That's, in fact, what we're doing. So through integrated water services, we're doing organic growth. We're steadily taking the products that we have and selling them, marketing them in the marketplace. But no, we're actually also rolling up those technologies and those services. So we see IWS as a platform strategy, which is... Is kind of cool and interesting for us, for our investors, like because we're we're profit-oriented private equity. So we've got that side of it. We're, we're unabashed about that, but we're also knowledgeable of the fact that we're trying to service an unserviced sector of the water market, rolling up those smallish, mediumish service and technology providers. The reason that they kind of get stuck at that level is because there's a big jump from there to being a national player and there's no middle ground. There's no ladder to climb. It's like there are five rungs on the ladder to this level, then you're stuck. And then 50 feet above you is another re- ladder. And so how do you make that jump? We're entering that space and we're looking at those service providers, technology providers, and we're saying we're going to aggregate a lot of those, assuming that they fit our strategic roadmap. We're going to aggregate them, bundle them, and create more of a national offering to meet that untended mi- middle of the markets. Does that make science Water the modern-day Dick Heckman? <laughs> uh, or Wayne Heisinger. Do you know Wayne Heisinger? When I was a boy, the garbage collection Uh, out your back door was from mom and pop garbage collectors. Okay. Right. 15 years later, I woke up and there was this company called Waste Management, which was a global powerhouse. Basically, Wayne Huizenga is one of the founders of Waste Management. And he just went around and bought up all of the service providers in garbage collection and created an international powerhouse that provides better, more cost-effective service. Is that a perfect company? No, but... Compare that to 10,000 garbage collectors with various, uh, levels of integrity and whatnot. The idea of doing a roll-up, by the way, Wayne Hazinga was also famous for having rolled up a company called Blockbuster. 25 years ago, when Netflix didn't exist, you you wanted to rent a video. You went to a mom and pop video store where he did a roll-up of all those mom and pops and created something called Blockbuster. A Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore because Netflix took them out. But the point is, oftentimes you'll find smart, small-scale players that can't get any traction and a player can come in, you mentioned Dick Heckman, Dick Heckman, Wayne Huizinga, and others who who actually have a vision that all of those small-ish players, if bolted together in a common fabric and a smart scheme, can provide better service, more cost effectively. Dick Heckman, as you're referring to it, was an interesting story because brilliant man did, did well financially and whatnot, but a lot of people would look back and say that that was bolting together a patchwork quilt without integrating, right? And there wasn't necessarily what I would call a common theme, a common sort of laser-focused service offering or whatnot that, that drew all those in. He was smart enough in the day to realize that you have this profoundly fragmented sector called water, and he just did a whole lot of acquisitions. And then along came a giant international player and took him out, and, you know, the guy's incredibly wealthy and a great story. I think the difference between that and what we want to do at Integrated Water Services is we have a target in mind, which is the underserved water providers, and we have a set of value propositions. That we want for that, so we are hand-picking the acquisitions such that they can fit that and highly integrated. Ergo, the name integrated water services. So
0: the two key points here are hand-picked and selective acquisitions. So it has to be catered to the market you want to serve and integrate it because you don't want it to be like a collection of small things which happen to belong to the same company. You want them right. so to have some- Following
1: a logical thread in pursuit of a value proposition that is needed by that fragmented group. It's not acquisitions for bulk and scale. By the way, someone could do what Dick Heckman did and just get a giant checkbook and just buy a lot of small stuff, the 30 or so that you'd met. I am all up, then all of a sudden it looks like something of a lot of scale, and then big national, international players might come in having forgotten what happened in the past and pay a huge premium. So there is a premium in the investor world for creating size and bulk. We're aware of that, but that's not our strategy. Our strategy is to meet the needs of an unmet sector that we're very well aware of. So what is the value proposition? Which acquisitions will enable us to, to create a national footprint, but in the pursuit of a value proposition that is much needed and be highly integrated.
0: The other interesting part with Dick Heckman is to look at modern-day Evoqua, yep. because Evoqua on the hardware side, so the technology side, not the service side, is a company which is 82% US-centric. Now that they kind of move on and become a bit more international, because that's all the interest of the integration with Xylem, fascinating move, Probably the only conglomerate in which Evopa could fit. We've seen that US Filter didn't fit with Veolia, didn't fit with Siemens. But that kind of opens a space potentially for a company willing to build something similar in a clever fashion because what EvoPo ended up being was a refined version of this conglomerate that Zickickigman
1: brought together with US Filter. Would that be a space which you ambition to fill? So a lot of those roll up conglomerates, get to a certain scale, and then immediately target only the large scale water utilities. In that sense, no, we would not follow that model. What we would hope to maintain diligence is aiming at that middle tier, because we think that's a long-term enduring value proposition for us. So yes, follow the model, but follow the model in a different fashion, not to simply get scale so as to be able to address New York City. It's get scale so as to change the paradigm, change the ecosystem in the middle band. Have high fidelity to that strategy. Does Integrated Water Services look at software or only hardware? Both. Both. Basically,
0: once you have built what you intend to build with Integrated Water Services and the CSWR, you've covered it all. Don't need
1: to build like a third pillar. That's the end goal because remember we're we're constantly focused on the needs of the customer bank that that middle sector customer group they're intelligent people but not sophisticated in this sector and so we're trying to create service offerings technology offerings that are fully integrated solutions, kind of plug and play, easy to operate, easy to use. So yes, digital. So as a good example would be SCADA systems, right? Mm -hmm. If you're the city of New York, you can afford massive investments in that kind of software and technology and and SCADA systems and maybe some monitoring and remote telemetry. But can you package that at a scale that a a city with 10,000 connections or 50,000 connections? The answer is if you have to, if that city or that that water provider has to go hire consultants to develop SCADA systems that fit that scale, they won't. Offering from IWS has got to be everything in a commercially viable, cost-effective, user-friendly, at the appropriate scale. And it sounds complicated and difficult, but it's not actually. Because all of the technologies exist, you just have to figure out how to scale the technology down and make it fully integrated.
0: For a certain period of time, you were not alone, but you were one of the few focusing on that underserved, let aside sector of these 97% of utilities and water system in the US, which are of a smaller size, which are the very big ones. Yet recently, I noticed that, for instance, if you take Burnt Island Venture, which is looking into the very early stage companies, they are backing and funding several companies like Ziptility, uh, which are looking into that same markets but with a different approach which is like this time its venture has to grow fast and to advance at a different pace than sure. what you would do. Would that be a sign that your investment thesis was right from day one and it's just a confirmation that you're on the right track or
1: would that be a threat? It's primarily confirmation and I would say it's maybe the opposite of a threat because we're not investing in the sort of leading edge of technolo- or technology rollout. We're rather taking proven technologies and learning and figuring out how to scale them down. I see. The reason that venture capital doing that would be a benefit is because this is a space that needs more advancement in the areas of technology. We simply are, as investors, our value proposition for our customers does not turn on advancing new technologies. 10 years in, we would be a great ramp up for those players. That becomes a feeding source for us like external innovation. Yeah, so we would welcome that because we don't plan to invest on the leading edge of technological advancement we're not afraid of it. We have enough to do where we're playing now by rolling down proven technologies, rolling them down to to be applicable at scale. I love the idea that smart money is seeing that we are making money in the water space. I we love the idea that smart venture money is coming in and saying, "Hey, let's create the proving ground for this advanced technology." Love it. Terrific actually.
0: And when you see the latest CDP report states that there is a 2.3 trillion dollar opportunity in water with a big W, what's your reaction? to that it's like yeah big number next year it's gonna be even bigger or well maybe the opportunity exists also outside the us and you might have to go
1: into different geographies sure is it yeah, it's a big number, right? Trillions of dollars. It's a big number. First of all, I believe those numbers. I've heard those numbers. I've been a CEO in the water space for 20 years, more than 20 years now. A much younger version of me was saying those same things 20 years ago. That pent up demand is bigger today than it was 20 years ago, but it's still of that same order of magnitude. So it's true. It's interesting. I, I was reading an EPA report, or maybe it was the American Society of Civil Engineers. There are 2.2 million miles of pipe, water pipe, just in the United States 2.2 million. And it was touting the fact that in 2020, which is the last year where statistics pre COVID, where statistics kind of make sense, that the planned expenditure in that year to replace pipes into that 2.2 million was 12,000 miles. And that was hailed as fantastic, right? I mean, big numbers. Well, 12,000 into 2.2 million is about one half of 1%. So if you're investing in infrastructure at one half of 1%, that means you think that the life expectancy of that infrastructure is 200 years. years. Well, first of all, pipes do not last 200 years, depending on who you talk to and what the pipe is 30 to 80 years. But secondly, we're 40 years behind. And so, yeah, people don't seem to understand the order of magnitude of the problem. And it is in trillions of dollars. And what we're currently starting to see is climate effects are starting to really stress this water infrastructure in disappointing, sad, and unique ways. You see freezing in places that didn't happen. You see flood events in places where it didn't, you see fires in places where they didn't happen in the past. You see drought in places where they, that didn't happen in the past. So we can debate, hopefully we don't have to debate climate change, but we can talk about it. But climate patterns are definitely moving around and changing, and that's stressing these this water infrastructure. So if I have any hope, and it makes me sound like an ambulance chaser, some of these stressor Events will fri- finally elevate to where the public says we can't afford to have these sort of catastrophic failures. But no, the answer is it's counted in trillions of dollars just in the United States. Now, does science? need to or desire to go outside of the United States? Well, of course everyone wants to benefit the world in in some fashion, but I have to tell you if you choose water, you really don't have to look much past the United States to have more than you could possibly bite off on. But some of the advancements that we were looking at would definitely play outside the United States just in the same way that we're we're maintaining fidelity to our strategy of focusing on that middle market and trying not to be distracted on other scale. I think it's critical if you want to have an impact in the United States, you've got to stay focused on the United States. Not because we're arrogant and think the United States is better or more important than the rest of the world. Unfortunately, the U.S. infrastructure is probably broken as badly as most anywhere in the world. And the best way we can have an impact is to stay focused in that market where we are effective. Makes
0: a lot of sense. <laughs> I could Take you on a sad track and tell you that there are 12,000 utilities in Germany, which if you do comparatively the size of the country, towards it, isn't that different to, I mean, same for Switzerland or Austria, but you're right. Yeah, I wouldn't debate that. I would have so much more. It's a bit the same frustration than last year I could spend. But I think that's a good point because that means we can continue that conversation yeah, next absolutely. year. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> good. Thanks a lot for taking some My time.
1: pleasure, Antoine. Looking forward. Thanks. Thank you. I love your podcast, by the way. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.